0: morning we wrap up our series going through the book of Joshua as we've walked with him through the land of Canaan. And this was the man who stepped into the shoes of Moses, the man of God who heard from God himself these words, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. This is the man who had the unenviable task of leading God's people, God's ungrateful, unfaithful people into their inheritance, that he led God's people into God's place for God's God's purposes. And he did it with resolve and with faith and with absolute perseverance. This is the man who saw the rescue of Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute who would who would later become part of the lineage of King David and actually of Jesus himself. This is the man who witnessed the miraculous crossing of the Jordan, the mass circumcision at the Hill of Foreskins. I hope you remember that. The fall of Jericho and who witnessed the failure at Ai due to Achan's sin. This is the man who was fooled by the Gibeonites because he forgot to inquire of the Lord. This was a harsh lesson that he had to learn. This is the man who was reminded that God is the major player in the cosmos as he watched the sun stop in its tracks, and we talked about what, what that would mean on a cosmic level, and he saw massive hailstones rain down from heaven. This is the man who defeated Two massive armies, both of the north and of the south, two coalition armies, and who took the north and the south of Canaan. This is the man who understood the importance of really getting rid of systemic sin as he became the instrument of God's justice against this nation that had become so sinful that there was literally no no hope left, that the only option was to wipe them out. This is the man who saw the splitting of the land between all of the tribes of the Israelites. And this is the man who learned the importance of compromise as he allowed the two point Five Transjordan tribes to settle on the east of the river This is the man who watched his friend Caleb grow old But never lose his vigour or his passion for God's plan This is the man who oversaw the setting up of the six cities of refuge Three on the east and three on the west of the Jordan And this is the man who witnessed firsthand, as we heard last week How easy it is for misunderstanding to bring a united nation up to the brink of war And now it says in Joshua chapter 23 verse 1, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from from all their enemies around them, Joshua by then, a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and he said to them, I am very old. So with all these leaders around him, this was the man who took the chance to share his lifetime of wisdom and insight. Uh, He was nearing the end. He'd spent over one century here on earth walking after God. And as we listen to what he says now, we hear four important questions that Israel needed to hear and to ask themselves. And coincidentally, this is nice, this is how the Bible works there are also four questions that we need to ask ourselves. The first one is, God, what reminder from you do I need to internalize right now? Number two, God, what, what command from you do I need to, 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 to obey right now? God, what promise from you do I need to cling to right now? And God, what warning from you do I need to heed right now? You see, the God that spoke to the people of Israel through Joshua is the same God who speaks to us here today. And he has a reminder, a command, a promise, and a warning for us. So first of all, the Israelites are reminded. They are reminded that it was God who was fighting for them all along. His... Here is Joshua. He's frail and old. His life is near its end. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 23, he says this. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. The, the, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. But he says this, it is the Lord your God who fought for you. And then in verse nine, he gets even more specific. He says this, the Lord has, the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. And so here's the reminder that this has been god's war this has been god working in power and the israelites largely watching from the sidelines um and then we and then we turn into Joshua chapter 24 which is pretty much uh, a history lesson and god saying let me take you on a walk down memory lane to see how i've worked Yeah, the other night, Wendy said to me, out of nowhere, she she said to me, do you remember the Arabian Peninsula, how hot and dry it was there? And straight away, as soon as Wendy said that, I had in my mind's eye, I saw like a camel running down the sand dunes, because we actually saw that. I could smell the frankincense in the air, in the sooks in the marketplaces. I could feel the the never-ending, unrelenting heat as we walked through the park with our young kids on all we wanted was shade and a drink. You see what happens when we invite ourselves to To remember, we are reminding ourselves that we aren't just creatures living in the now, but we are who we are because of a lifetime of experiences and lessons learned. But but God, through Joshua in chapter chapter 24, takes it back even further. He recollects not just what God did in their living memory, but also what God did in their collective ancestral memory. He goes back and back and back as far as Nahor with... Yeah, Terra and Abraham. He he traces um, yeah the journey from over beyond the Euphrates River, uh, Ur and Haran, and then he traces it over to Canaan. He traces it down to Egypt. He traces it back to Canaan again, uh, and then wandering in the desert, and then finally back into Canaan again. He talks about the 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 Red Sea crossing. He talks specifics. But as God is, but as God through Joshua is um, explaining to the, to to those who would listen, all of this, even though these events happened many generations ago, it's interesting that he shares it as if it happened to them themselves. Verse six of chapter twenty four says this: When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea; you saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians, then you lived in the wilderness a long time. And the people there might have said, actually, God, that wasn't us. That was our grandparents, our great grandparents, our great great grandparents. That wasn't actually us. But what God is doing here is he's including them in, yeah, the covenant that he made with their ancestors, and he's renewing it with them right there at that moment in time. What he's saying in, in, in essence is, is this. What happened back then, I can do now. What, uh, what I did for those folks back then, it's like I did it for you. I'm the same God now as I was back then. For them, I parted the Red Sea. For you, I parted the Jordan River. For them, I drowned the, the Egyptian armies. For you, I... I, I won over against the, the the systemic evil in Canaan. I am God, and I never change. As I was with Moses, as I was with Joshua, so I am with you. That's in essence what God is saying as He takes this walk down memory lane. And the thing is, is that we also have to be reminded, if we are Christians, that we have to be reminded of our collective ancestral heritage. Those things that might have happened 5,000 years ago or maybe 2,000 years ago on an old rugged cross or in the 1700s or in the 1950s or in March of this year. It's all part of our heritage. You see, we're very good at listening to stories and many times the stories that we listen to are worldly stories. You know, these things that we read on our feed, which we read on You know, the, on news, on, on Facebook, on, and, and so we read these stories and we shake our heads and we tut, 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 or we eat it up because it tastes so good. And so we just spend hours looking through, just lost in shock at where is the world coming to. But we also have to be stuffing ourselves, not only with worldly stories, but with stories of the Lord himself. We, we have to be reading stories of God, hearing how He has changed lives. Um, in, in, in front of me here are stories about people. People who God changed, people who, who God used, and these are all found in the library. So we have to get into history. We have to hear people's testimonies. We had to, we have to read people's stories. And as we read their stories, we're reminded of God's covenant faithfulness. We hear about what God has done in and through other people. And then we start to think, well, maybe God can do the same in and through me. Because stories of faith are infectious. Hearing Shino and Shania's story this morning, maybe not for you, but for me, it started to make me think, well, maybe I should pray for folks in the Muslim world more. Because the Lord's working with miracles. This is the power of story. And so we have to listen to each other's story, but we also have to share our own. So my encouragement to you is to take one of these home and to read it and then let me know after you've read it what you thought. What did you learn? And then you can either return it or you can recommend it to someone else. This is the power of story. This is why we have to be reminded. And so the first thing that that we have to ask ourselves is God what reminder from you do I have to internalize here today right now. But we're also told that that's not the only question there's there's a second question that second question is this God what 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 command from you do I need to obey right now here here today let's turn to uh, Joshua chapter 23 verse 6 which says this. It says, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or, or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God. As you have until now. And then in verse 11, we read this. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. So here, here we see that God's people have a command. They are told that they, that they are to be very strong. And of course, this isn't a strength that they find in themselves. It's only a strength that is found in God Himself, strength is a choice that we make. Uh, strength is a choice that we make that's founded on the character of the Lord. Being strong is choosing to rely on God one hundred percent. And so, when when he he commands all the people in verse six that they they are to be strong and to really obey all that is written in, there in the book of Moses, he's he's actually causing them to cast their minds back to Joshua chapter one verse 9 and in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 as he's as he's causing them to remember they remember this which says this have i not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the lord your god will be with you wherever you go lots of the same words lots of the same language lots of the same reminders and so what he's doing is that he he takes this rule and the command that he made back then and he's saying that's not only for me, this is also for you. He's he's saying this 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 rule or the command has not passed its use use by date, it's still good, it's not expired, it's still usable, you can still use it, it's still relevant, it's still for you. Because this God that led them over the Jordan. Uh, who won against yeah, Jericho and led them on the northern campaign and the southern campaign th- that, that turned this nation of wilderness wandering nomads into a military force. This is the same God who says, I'm going to lead you on. And so they, are, they, they hear these words, be very strong, obey and 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 what this means is is that they have to set themselves apart from the rest of the Canaanites who still live in the land. Verse seven says this. Verse seven of chapter twenty three. He tells them not to invoke the, the the names of their gods or to swear by them. You 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 must not serve them. You must not bow down to them. But you are to hold fast unto the Lord your God as you have until now. And so what this means for us is that if we're following Christ, we cannot look like the culture around us. There's something that has to, has to really set us apart from it. So what are the gods of this culture that we at, we attempted to worship and to bow down to? What are the ways of thinking in this culture that are not in line with what we read in the Bible, but are real? That are really prevalent in our society, where we may be tempted to let these, these gods that aren't gods at all impact our thinking, our worldview, our behavior. Our, um, these mindsets can really creep on, it, creep, creep up on us without us even realizing. And once they've crept up on us, they can form us without us even realizing it. You know, when I was 17, I, went to college in Wales. College isn't like college here. College is a pre-university thing. And when I was at college, I remember reading um, a book by Shakespeare called Othello. And I was struck by one of the characters there called Iago. And Iago is this sneaky, horrible man. And what he does is he he, he, he walks up to this noble man who only has love in his heart and he whispers and he plants seeds of doubt until this man who is noble, who is good, actually ends up murdering the, the woman that he loves. All because of this wicked man, Yago. Now, Yago is fiction. But there are really, um, really powerful forces in this world that are, they're in the shadows and we don't even notice them, but are walking up to us and they're whispering in our ear and they're, and they're changing how we view things. They're changing even our beliefs. In, in 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 3, we read this. 2nd Timothy 4 verse 3, it says, says this. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and all of the duties of your ministry. So... What is the antidote for this sickness that lingers there in this shadow and that can really sneak up on us? Well, verse 8 of chapter 23 of Joshua, that is the antidote and it says this, but you are to hold fast. Who to? You are to hold fast unto the Lord your God as you have until now. Now, there's another translation which changes those words. It doesn't say hold fast. It says cling to. And what that means is to hold on like your life really depends on it. Hold on, cling to. Now, for me, maybe it's like this for you as well, but for me, I find that a lot of my spiritual walk is actually me drifting along, somehow assuming that if I take my foot you know, off the gas pedal that I will keep on drifting nearer to God, that that's kind of how it is. That's what I think. But both you and I know that it's not true. Once we lift our foot off the gas pedal, we will drift either to the left or to the right, or we will crash. We will stop. But like me, there are many people who say that they love the Lord, who who are drifting through life, not realizing that they've actually stopped without even realizing it. And 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 why is this? Because they've stopped clinging onto him. They've stopped holding fast onto him. And what was true then is also true now. And so we have to exert some effort. We have to hold fast onto him. And then if we turn to verse 11 in chapter 23... We're told another command, which is an interesting one, because it says this, so be very careful to what? To love the Lord your God. Now, why are we told that we have to be very careful to love him? I mean, isn't love a natural thing like a river that just flows downstream and it just happens? How can you order love? How can you mandate love? How can God come up to us and say, be very careful to love me? How can he do that? Because love actually isn't like a river that naturally flows downstream. Love is more like a flame that has to be stoked. And, and sometimes love is a roaring flame. Sometimes it's an ember that you can hardly even see. But that fire of love has to be fed. And what happens when that flame is small is that you see all of the darkness and it's there ready to just eat it up. And so that fuel has to be found and the oxygen has to be found and that heat has to be found. Because when you find those three things, you have a fire. The lamp needs oil. And so for some of you right now, your fire is at a really low ebb. It's, it's, it's right on the verge of being extinguished. Absolutely. But it's at this moment when you feel like at least that you have to work the hardest you have to fan it into flame you have to look you have to find that kindling you 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 have to watch that flame because those winds are, are there ready to blow out you cannot let up you must be careful to love the lord your god maybe you're like the church uh, the the ephesian church in revelation chapter 2 verse 4 where where the writer says this yet i hold this against you You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. And then the Lord himself warns us in Matthew chapter 24. He says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, listen to that. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So are you one of the most? Is your love growing cold because of the wickedness around us? Which is why we read here in Joshua that we, we are to be careful and love him because he is our Lord, because he is our God. But here's, here's the thing is that if you're afraid that your flame is nearly out, you should rejoice. Let me tell you why. Because if you're afraid that your flame's nearly out, the fact that you're afraid is a sign of life. Okay, And so you should use that fear as a motivation to hold on to God and to cling to him even more. That fear is a sign of life. It's when that fear goes and your heart becomes hard. That's when you have to be worried, but you won't be worried because you've already passed that line. So that fear is a sign of life. It's a sign of hope. And so you can hold on to that little ember. You can bring it up to God and you can say to him, breathe on me, breath of God, fill me with life in you, that I may love what you love and that I may do what you would do. So whatever brings life to your soul, you should do it. If that's reading the word, if that's listening to worship songs, if it's if it's walking in nature, if it's listening to sermons, if it's Maybe journaling, if it's working through things with a friend, whatever can turn that ember into a flame, you should do it. Because this is what being careful to love the Lord your God means. Number three, God, what promise from you do I need to cling on to right now, here today? And why this is important is that w- w- whenever God gives us a command, it's always based on a promise. Okay. Whenever God gives a command, it's always, it's always based on a promise. And so Matthew, Matthew chapter 28 is a great example of this. He says, go and make, make what? Make disciples of all nations. He is a command. But, but this is based on the promise which, which Jesus says to us, surely I am with you. Always, even until the end of the age. And so that command is is predicated, is based on a promise. It's the promise that makes us fulfilling um, what God says to us actually possible. And so here's our question now. What promise from you do I need to cling to? Uh, Joshua 23 verse 4 says this. Here's the promise. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all of the land of the nations that, that remain, the nations I have con- conquered, uh, yeah, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will, will push them out for your sake. He will, he will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. And I love this because when I read this, my heart resonates because what this is saying, is that there's still work for us that we have to do. Our job, our duty, our purpose for living here on this earth is not yet through. And so what the Lord does is he reminds them of what he's already done and then he says that he himself will work more. He will keep on working. He will drive out the remaining tribes. And then he says, and you will take possession of the land. And what that's saying is that God will do all of the heavy lifting. But there's also work for them. They knew that the Lord said to them, I will give you yeah, the city of Jericho. But they were the ones that had to walk around it multiple times. So even though God is the, is the heavy lifter, He's the one that works, He requires us to serve Him and to obey. Let me tell you this. As someone who's worked on the mission field in multiple countries around the world, but is also serving on the mission field now here, as someone who's, 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 um, who's Who's served on the mission field? I've never met, ne, I've never, never met one person who sold out on the mission of Jesus Christ who is unhappy. I've never met someone who's walking by faith that you look at them and you say, Oh, that person is so lackluster. Where is the life? I have, net, I have never met anyone who's living on mission, whether it's in the Philippines, whether it's in Malaysia, whether it's in Switzerland, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in the UAE, whether it's in the UK, whether it's here. I've never met anyone who's living on mission who is bored. However, I've met many people who are living for themselves who are bored who are not really challenged, who are living in fear through, through life, who are living in fear that maybe someone might walk up to them and say, So, can you, would you mind explaining to me a bit about, you know, Jesus? You see, here's the thing. If you, if you let the, the message of the gospel grab hold of you, uh, if you let the message of the gospel grab hold of you, if you allow this wonderful story of God's saving grace to totally um really transport your soul, if you meditate on the relentless love of God and it serves as, as you know, the pads that can shock your heart into life, then you know what it is to live on mission. And so here we see that his people were still on mission. God was still working. The work was not yet finished. And he was calling them to work with him. And so we are exactly the same. We are here here today thinking about when God breathed life into this group of scared folks hiding in a room when he, he breathed life into them and he gave birth Yet yeah, to the church, and that spirit that 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 breathed that that breathed life into this group of seventy people is still breathing through the world now. And so we heard in the testimony which we heard earlier on that miracles are happening. That that um, yeah, the Lord's moving. That His promises, as we read in the Bible, are yes and amen that they are being fulfilled through people like you and me. And so the question that, that we have to ask, if we are to live out his mission, is God, what promise from you do I need to cling to? And that's not maybe something I can answer, but as you read his words, and you read something where he says, "Never I will leave you or forsake you." Maybe that's it. Maybe it's um, you know him saying, "Even uh, I am with you, even until the end of the age." Maybe that's it. You know, um, maybe it's a verse like being still and knowing that he, that he that that he is God. Maybe that's what you have to hold on to. So, God, what promise from you do I need to cling to? And lastly, after being reminded. After being commanded, after, after being promised, finally, we are warned. What warning from you do I have to heed? Verse 12 of chapter 23 says this, but if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, th- they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back, and thorns in your eyes until you perish from, from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And then verse 15 says this, but just, as, uh, but just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you f- from this good land that he has given you, verse 16, if you violate the covenant of the Lord, your God, which, which which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land. And what it says in verse 12, um, he says, but if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations. But however, in the English Standard Version, it says this, if you turn back and cling to the remnant of those nations among you, if you turn back and cling to the remnant, and that word cling should, should remind us of verse 8, where Joshua tells them to hold fast or to cling onto him. So you either cling to those nations or you cling to him. And what this tells us as human beings is that we are habitual clingers. We always cling to something or we always hold fast onto something. And and, and here it's been set up as an either or. You either cling to God or you cling onto the idols and the false gods in your midst. Um, and so they're being warned of the very real temptation to cling onto false idols. And these false idols aren't over the river anymore, they aren't there in the country that they haven't entered. Those false idols are there in their midst, in their home. They have to resist holding on to these and instead hold on to God. And what this means is that if they fill their hands with the Lord Himself, they no longer have room in their hands for these, for, for these false gods. If they fill their minds with God Himself, then they no longer have room in their minds for these false gods. If they fill their hearts with the Lord God Himself, then they no longer have room for the false gods. And that's true of us as well. We might have experienced this work of Christ in our lives that has turned our lives upside down. We are absolutely transformed, and yet still there are those remnants in our lives that threaten to draw us away. The old man, the old nature, that thing in the drawer that we worship occasionally. And so the Lord says to them, it's it's not enough that I've reminded you of my might. It's not enough that I've made a command for you to cling on to me. It's not enough that I've said to you this wonderful promise as you walk after me. I also have to warn you to leave those things that can replace me at the center of your life. And so in verse 24, uh, sorry, verse 14 of chapter, of chapter 24, we read this, now now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So what this means, I think what this means is this, is that they're in the bags that, that they've been carrying them around with them, with them there in the desert for year after year after year after year. There has been intentional room set aside for little idols. They've been holding on to them and it's been weighing them down. And so they've been weighing themselves down with all these idols from the past. And now they're being told that now is the time for you to get rid of them, to throw them away. But they're also being told not only to throw away the idols of the past, but also not to take on any idols now so, what does this mean for us? This means that you and I are both relentless collectors of idols. It's what we do. We worship, we, we worship, um, yeah, false gods. Um, whether it's ones that have been handed down to us from our parents, maybe practices that we've learned from them, maybe it's drunkenness, workaholism, maybe it's racism, m- maybe it's learning how to react with anger. Or So if it's sins we've learned from our parents, or it's sins w- which we've learned ourselves, uh, whether it's sexual sin or Eastern mysticism, or just focusing on wealth, or or not really caring about anyone, or spending money that we don't have, or living lives filled With envy, whatever these false gods are, God's warning is the same. Don't cling to them. Instead, cling onto me. Because it's only as we cling onto God that we don't have to worry about the power that these false gods have in our lives because our hands, our hearts, and our heads are full of Him already. So if you, if you know that there is known sin in your life, yes, yes, you are saved maybe, but you know that, 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 that that there are these false gods that you still have in your life. Cling on, yeah, to God. Hold on to Him. Let Him fill your hand and your heart and your head, so that there's no room for for, for these lesser loves. So, yeah, just like the yeah the people of Israel, we are we are reminded that it's God who works on our behalfs. We are a commanded people to love him and to serve him and to cling on to him. We are a promised people um, that he will work on our behalf, winning our battles for us if only we trust him. And we are a warned people, warned not to cling on to old gods or to new gods. Instead, we are told to hold fast onto God and to cling to him. And so here, as you're sat here thinking about these past few maybe days or weeks or months, and the troubles and the trials that you've experienced and the moments of happiness and the moments of, of real sadness, ask yourself this. What is God himself reminding you of? What is God himself maybe commanding you to do What is God actually promising you or, or has he promised that, that you have to internalize? And finally, is there an area of life that God is warning you against? You know, here at the, here right at the end of the book of Joshua, um, he, he and the children of Israel get into a bit of a verbal sparring match because we read in verse 15, it says, um choose who you will serve. And then the people of Israel respond, we will serve the Lord. And then he he comes back with these really telling words, you are not able to serve the Lord. And then they respond, no, 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 we will serve him. And then he says this in verse 22 and 23, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they reply. Now then, says Says Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And that's what this is all about. When we talk about this life of inheritance, which they have, it's not the land itself, but it's it's the Lord himself. He says, yield your heart. Hold on to me. And so let me close our series with a verse from the book of First John chapter 3, uh, 5, sorry, verse 3. First John chapter 5, verse 3. It says this. In fact, this is love f- f- for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God They overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it who overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that, yeah, Jesus is the son of God. You see, what God isn't interested in is half-hearted people who are playing the odds. That he's not people who, he's, he's, he's not interested in people who are, who are grateful for the land. Or for the blessings, but who keep him at arm's length. He doesn't want players. He doesn't want hustlers. He doesn't want people to play at faith. This is not why he died on the cross. So let me leave you with the black and white, either or one or the other choice that we heard thousands of years ago, right at the end of the book of Joshua, verse 15. Of chapter 24. But if serving the Lord. Seems undesirable. For you. Then choose for yourself this day. Whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served. Beyond the Euphrates. You know those gods of the past. Or the gods of the Amorites. In whose land you are now living. But he leaves them with this word. But as for me and my household. We will serve the Lord. So my Words for you are to yield your heart. Let him have it. And at that moment of greatest weakness where you feel the the most vulnerable, you will experience new life. You will experience the Holy Spirit of Christ himself breathing life into your life. You will encounter a God who speaks, who reminds, who commands who promises and who warns. You will meet the God of Moses himself and the God of Joshua and the God who said in, in the book of Joshua, chapter one, verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all of the days of, of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You will meet that God at the moment. You surrender. His life was over. He was 110 years old. And, th- and verse 30 says this, and they, bar- and they buried him in the land of, his, in- of his-, his inheritance. But for you and for me, if you're here, if you're within the sound of my voice, life's not over yet. There's still work for you and I.